Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10. Jacob's dream at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And the second reading is from chapter 32, and this one starts at verse 22. Jacob wrestles with God. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Hannah, so much for reading that. Can you see me through the ladder? I think wherever I go, there will be someone that will have to move, or maybe you prefer not to not to see me, but do, but do feel free to move. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for us being here now. Thank you that it is Sunday and we join with um, your people throughout the world who are um, uh, worshipping you and also hearing from your words. So may the words of my mouth speak the thoughts of your heart, we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at two moments from the story of Jacob, his uh, vision of a ladder or a stairway, 
and this curious night of wrestling where a stranger grabs hold of him and they wrestle until daybreak. It could be a man or it could be an angel or it could even be God himself. And we'll think about how those two moments point us to Jesus, but also how they speak to our own lives. But first, a question. Do you like your name? My parents almost called me Martin, but in the end, they settled on Patrick, which apparently means noble. Whether I live up to that name, I don't know. But certainly in the Old Testament, your name um, often reflected your character. Now, Jacob's name means deceiver or supplanter. And in the 12 chapters dedicated to Joseph in the book of Genesis, almost everyone he meets, he seems to lie to or struggle with or deceive in order to get what he wants. Jacob is born grasping the heel of his elder twin brother Esau. Even in the womb, their mother Rebecca has a, a sense of them struggling and she receives a prophecy from God telling her that two nations are in your womb and the older will serve the younger. And this prophecy begins to find its fulfillment when Jacob and Esau are young men and Jacob through trickery, robs Esau of his birthright and then tricks the elderly Isaac into giving him instead of Esau the blessing reserved for the firstborn. Rachel is complicit in this because Jacob is her favourite son. And when Esau realises that Jacob has deceived him and stolen, stolen his blessing, he wants to kill him. So Rebecca sends Jacob away from the family home and he travels 500 miles north to live with his uncle Laban in Haran. And if you recall, Haran was where Abraham started his journey to Canaan. And it's while Jacob is on the road to Haran that we come to the first moment we want to think about this morning. The night when weary from his travels, Jacob lies down to sleep um, and he has a dream of a ladder to heaven with angels ascending um, and descending. Just, just in case you can't quite imagine what it's like, it's like this. Whoa, angels ascending and descending. Well done, Chantel. And, and then God himself appears at the top of the ladder and um, he makes a promise to Jacob, and it's the same promise that he made to Abraham and to Isaac. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. So God makes the same threefold promise to Jacob that he made to Abraham and to Isaac. The promise of descendants that will become a great nation. The promise of land where they will settle. And a blessing for all people. And God wait, uh, and 
Jacob wakes up with an overwhelming sense of God's presence. He says, surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. And that's always my prayer for this church, that people will come in for all the different activities and say, surely God was with me, was uh, present here and I was not aware of it. And then, of course, we hope that they will become aware of it. And this is a turning point in Jacob's story. What was until now a journey of escape becomes a journey of, 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 of purpose. God has revealed himself to Jacob and that's changed everything. So Jacob sets up a pillar of stones and he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. So that's Jacob's first encounter with God, his Bethel encounter. The second occurs some years later. Jacob arrives in Haran and becomes a laborer on his uncle Laban's farm. Now, Laban turns out to be as, as dishonest and deceiving as Jacob is himself. And when Jacob wants to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel, Laban manages to trick Jacob into marrying her sister, Leah, as well. Fast forward 20 years and Jacob is still in Haran. But now, with his children born of Leah, Rachel, and both their maidservants. But he isn't happy, and his relationship with Laban has deteriorated to the extent that Jacob thinks, I, I, I need to return, I need to go back to Canaan. And so, one night, he sets out under the cover of darkness, taking with him his wives, his maidservants, his 11 children, his animals, and for good measure, most of Laban's animals too. He's fleeing once more. And as he journeys along the road, messengers from the south meet him with the news that his brother Esau, who he hasn't seen since he left Canaan all those years ago, is journeying up north to meet Jacob, and he has 400 men with him. And Jacob is scared. He's going to have to confront his past, and he's not sure what to do. So he turns to God for help and he prays this prayer. O God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And now we come to our second moment. Some headings in the Bible say Jacob wrestles with an angel. Others say Jacob wrestles with God. The text itself says he wrestles with a man. Jacob has no idea who he is or why he's here. But a man suddenly appears, grabs Jacob and starts to wrestle with him. And I like what the author John White says about this. Firstly, he points out that it's the man that starts the fight, not Jacob. And then he says this, if someone hits you, you have two choices. You can hit them back or you can run away. If, on the other hand, someone wrestles with you, you have no choice. Whether you want to flee or fight back, you have to wrestle too. You struggle either to break away from their grip or you teach them a lesson. Jacob didn't wrestle because he chose to, but because he had to. 
The man was trying to throw him to the ground. And they wrestle like this until daybreak. Jacob fights with all he's got. And we're told that when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touches the socket of his hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then something shifts. Suddenly, it's no longer two men fighting. Rather, it's one man clinging on to the other like a desperate child. The man says to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob, who is clinging on now, responds, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It seems that Jacob now knows who this stranger is, and it's none other than God himself, and he doesn't want to let go of him. And so God blesses Jacob with a new name, Israel, the name God's people will be known by from now on. And then the story ends with these words, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob walks away from this encounter, crippled, but named and blessed. Jacob knew he belonged to God at Bethel, but it's now that God wants to redirect Jacob's fierce independence and will to win for his own purposes. A theologian, Derek Kidner, puts it like this, and I think this is really, really good, really profound. The conflict brought to a head the battling and groping of a lifetime. And Jacob's desperate embrace vividly expressed his ambivalent attitude to God of love and enmity, defiance and dependence. It was against God, not Esau or Laban, that Jacob had been pitting his strength as he now discovered. The crippling and the naming show that God's ends were still the same. He would have all of Jacob's will to win, to attain and obtain, yet purged of self-sufficiency and redirected to the proper object of man's love, God himself. And I just love the way that then it says, Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. And Peniel means face of God. So two moments when, when, when Jacob encounters God, one in Bethel and the other in Peniel. At Bethel, God reveals himself to Jacob with words of affirmation and assurance of his love and his presence, giving him a promise and a purpose. There's no word of anger or reprimand for all, for all his deceiving, just love. But at Peniel, God comes in a different way as an opponent or an adversary. He's to be wrestled with. So they're two very different encounters. So I want now just to spend a few moments thinking about how Jesus is revealed in these two encounters. So in Joseph's vision of the ladder, this is the first time that we see Jesus in two ways. First, the promise that Jacob's descendants will bless all nations. And as we saw with Abraham last week, this promise will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus through his life, death and resurrection. He will be the one that will bring God's blessing and salvation to all of humankind. 
So again, it's that golden thread running through the whole of the Old Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. But then in the ladder itself, we also find a very powerful foreshadowing of Jesus. What does the ladder represent? It represents the connection between earth and heaven. And despite the fall breaking the relationship between God and humankind, God still reveals himself from time to time as he recreates this connection between heaven and earth. And Jacob's dream is one of, one of those moments. But there's a moment in the New Testament when Jesus refers to the ladder in Jacob's dream. If you recall in John chapter 1, when Jesus meets Nathaniel, Nathaniel's friend Philip tells him he has found the Messiah and Nathaniel doesn't want to have any of it. He doesn't believe him. But Philip convinces him to come and see Jesus. And when he does, they have this extraordinary conversation. If we read from John 1, 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asks. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's interesting. Jesus says to Nathanael when he sees him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Who was the Israelite of greatest deceit? It was Jacob. And then he talks about heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, I am the true ladder that connects earth to heaven and people to God. I am the real ladder that Jacob only dreamt about in Bethel all those centuries ago. For those who have faith, I am the true ladder. If we move on to the Peniel story, we find Jesus there too. If Jesus's Bethel moment was his baptism, where God speaks over him words of affirmation and promise, you are my son, the one you know, with whom I am well pleased. Then it's later in Gethsemane, Jesus encounters God as an adversary, almost as an opponent. Like Jacob, Jesus is alone. Like Jacob, it's a struggle of the will, not my will, but your will, says Jesus, before he then pushes on through to the cross. Like Jacob, Jesus' struggle takes place at night, but the battle is won at daybreak, this move from darkness to light. If you think of the empty tomb being discovered at sunrise, both Jesus and Jacob carry wounds from their encounter. Jacob gets a new name, Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. So those just a few ways that we see Jesus foreshadowed in the story of Jacob. But to close, I just want to reflect for a moment on our Bethel moments, our Peniel moments. Like Jacob, 
God speaks to us from time to time with words of love and encouragement, with purpose and hope and peace, reassurance of his presence that he will always be with us. And he might speak through a dream, but more often it'll come through a verse of scripture or when someone prays for you or speaks a word to you that they believe God has for you. These are precious moments, even if perhaps they're few and far between. But then we have our penial moments when God feels more like an an adversary that we must wrestle with. It might be over a decision that we have to make or something that we've always held on to so tightly, but we now need to lay down and give to God. It might be that something happens to us that plunges us into a new reality that we just can't accept. And we wrestle with God pleading that he turns back the clock so that things could be the way they were before. Sometimes we wrestle as we bring before God our questions and doubts when things just don't seem to make sense. And sometimes in the wrestling, God will wound us. And though we may come away from our encounter wounded, we also come away named and blessed and maybe even equipped to serve God in a deeper way. Shall we pray? And as we think about Bethel, we think about Peniel, we think about the moments when God has blessed us beyond what we could have asked or imagined. But then the Peniel moments where It's all so, so difficult. But God wants to have our will, not just our hearts. I'm just going to invite the the Holy Spirit to come. Come Holy Spirit now in this place.